to uh, Paul's letter to Philippians. Um, thank you for that, that hymn. Um, I always enjoyed that hymn um, by uh, Melody Green. Yeah, there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. So we are in um, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 17 to 18 this morning. So read with me uh, from verse 12 down. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, So in the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Heavenly Father, as we come to these words, and consider what Paul was speaking about, what was on his heart, what was happening in his life, what he was calling the Philippians to, and, and by way of extension, every uh, believer since then. Help us to understand these words, to receive them, to uh, understand the implications and applications to apply them to our lives. And Lord, as I speak your word, I pray that my words would be your words and that your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the key characteristics or spiritual disciplines of the Christian life is that of service or serving the church and in fact it's so characteristic of the Christian life that even those outside of the church understand it. However their understanding of service in the church is either based upon their own observations of believers in local churches or their upbringing in a church or their own experiences with social organizations and charities which is it's interesting because from um, the world's perspective and, and even uh, the government's perspective, especially that of the IRS, um, the church isn't that much different from any other religious group or charitable organization or nonprofit in terms of our service and just uh, our organization. You know, all, all of these groups, uh, religious groups or charitable organizations, nonprofits, they all have an organizational structure with leaders and staff and volunteers all have a mission a purpose and function 
all receive gifts and use those funds to maintain their property, fund their activities, and support their mission. And every religious group or charitable organization or nonprofit has people who serve in it. And for most of them, especially the religious ones, the majority of those who serve are unpaid volunteers who not only sacrifice their free time to serve the organization, but also support it financially through their giving because they believe in the mission and the cause of the organization. And from the most basic surface level comparison of the church and other organizations, there isn't much difference. In fact, that there, in both of them, there is voluntary service and giving that supports the organization. However, there ought to be a difference in the service and giving of believers in the church than in members of nonprofits. And it's not so much in the amount of service or giving as it is in the reason for it and the attitude with which it is done. However, it's convicting to me, it's happened several times in my life and probably in your life, to meet an unbeliever who is enthusiastically serving and giving to a charitable organization or even a false religion. While you or other believers you know aren't doing much at all for the church. And it's true that there are seasons of life in which we can either serve more or give more. And we all have our strengths and weaknesses and limitations and there's time constraints that impact our service or our giving. But believers are to serve and believers are to give. And we are to do so willingly. We are to do so sacrificially. And we are to do so joyfully. That's, that's, to, that's what is to distinguish our service and giving from that of unbelievers. We're also to serve and to give in love. Love first for God and love for those we serve. This is what is to set us apart from other charitable organizations or false religions. That There is to be a, a, an evident love and joy in our serving and in our giving. We're not to do so with compulsion or um, because someone twisted our arm or guilt tripped us. It's to be different. And this is what we are going to look at this morning. Sacrificial service. Serving and giving for the faith. As we look at both the Apostle Paul's example of sacrificial service and that of the Philippians in these two verses. In this passage, as Paul has been ever since... Uh, Verse 27 of chapter 1, this is all one section, and it's, it's coming to a close. And Paul has, in verse 27, told the Philippians to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he speaks about how they are to go about doing that in their unity, in their humility, in their service for one another, in considering one another as more important than themselves, in emulating Christ. And he gives this 
picture and this illustration of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and also his authority. And then he comes down into uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 and, and tells us how we are to work out our salvation, how we are to live in obedience with uh, fear and trembling, how we are to uh, serve and live and move and have our being. And we are to do all things without grumbling or disputing as we saw last week so that we would be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then Paul gets to uh, this verse in 17 or perhaps even more, um, more apparent starting at the end of verse 16 talking about um, his labor for the Philippians. And he speaks of his sacrifice and his service. And in the midst of all that, his joy, which he has. And he calls the Philippians to do the same, to serve in the same way, to sacrifice in the same way, to have that same attitude. And as we will see, as we look at these two verses, Paul provides us with three lessons concerning sacrificial service and what it looks like to Give of yourself for the service of the church and for others, for the service of the faith, for the advancement of the gospel. So as we look at these two, ver two verses, we will see, first, the picture of sacrificial service, second, the joy of sacrificial service, and third, the fellowship of sacrificial service. First, the picture of sacrificial service, verse 17, as he tells the Philippians, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He, he, he paints this picture of what may possibly happen. He's saying, but even if, even if I am sacrificed, even if I am executed, he, he's there in the Roman prison in house arrest. Um, he has some level of freedom as, as people are coming and going there. The, the Philippians had sent, um, by way of Epaphroditus, a gift to help support him. Uh, people, other disciples are coming and going, such as Timothy or um, uh, uh, Onesimus and other disciples that have come and gone and have carried letters to other churches. He's still discipling. He's still evangelizing. But nonetheless, his trial is coming and he doesn't know the verdict of his trial, whether or not he will be executed. And it's a, a, a possibility that he could be executed for uh, ministry, for his ministry, for his faith. And so he paints this picture for the Philippians of sacrificial service. And he says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice this picture of sacrificial service, of, of actually being himself a sacrifice. This picture is rooted in worship, in, in, in worship in the ancient world, and, and, and just worship in general. Because uh, ever since uh, the beginning of, of creation, ever since uh, mankind has walked this, worth, this earth, man was created as a worshiper, and, and we can go all the way back Genesis 4 and see sacrifice. 
We see sacrifice throughout the whole Old Testament. We see sacrifice in almost every religion. That, that sacrifice is, is connected with worship. And, and, and then Paul paints this picture of a particular sacrifice, of being made a, a drink offering. And, and some of us, we, we understand this as we have studied the Old Testament and we understand that there were, in the Old Testament system, there were different types of offerings. There was a burnt offering, there was a drink offering, a wave offering, a grain offering, different types of offering which the Jews were to offer. But the same was true also in the Greco-Roman world and in their, their uh, false systems of worship that they offered uh, similar types of offerings. Uh, one commentator, he writes this concerning this drink offering. He says this, this refers to the topping off of an ancient animal sacrifice. The offerer poured wine either in front of or on top of the burning animal, and the wine would be va vaporized. That steam symbolized the rising of the offering to the deity for whom the sacrifice was made. Paul viewed his entire life as a drink offering. And here it was poured on the Philippians' sacrificial service. And yet this word also, service, comes from a word that refers to sacred priestly service, not just a general service. That Paul, as he talks to the Philippians, and he, he um, bears his heart, he expresses his heart, and even his joy over the prospect of dying for the sake of their faith, and the gospel, he says, I may be poured out as a drink offering. It's the same phrase, oh, he, he talks to, he speaks to Timothy in 2 Timothy that, that I'm about to be poured out. There's a sacrifice of the Philippians in their service for Paul that is presented almost as a burnt offering. And then Paul topping off that offering, completing that offering by being poured out, his life poured out so that his life itself, the sacrifice of his life itself would, in effect, uh, rise up to God in, as a fragrant aroma, as um, an act of worship, that he has laid his life down for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. And this is exactly what Paul would write to the Romans, that as we all know, um, as New Testament believers, that we don't, in a sense, uh, sacrifice. We, we are not a part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. That is um, obvious, but there is a sense in which we still do offer sacrifices to God. Paul speaks to this in Romans 12, a, a verse which is, um, when I was a new believer, it was the first verse I was uh, taught to memorize. Romans 12, 1 to 2, and since then I have changed different translations, so I, sometimes when I try to quote it, it's merged together with different translations. But um, here in the LSB it says this, Therefore I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And what Paul is saying is, in, in, in response to everything that has happened from 
Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11 in, as he lays out the gospel that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, enemies of God, yet God in his grace has called us, has uh, convicted us, has justified us, has redeemed us, has put his spirit within us, is doing a work in and through us, in the church, throughout the whole world, in this history of redemption. Because of his mercies, we are to then present our bodies as a sacrifice, not just as the Old Testament sacrifice, like our living bodies that we just sacrifice ourselves, but everything in our life, our our abilities, our talents, our time, our treasure, um, our knowledge, our person, our relationships, our influence. Everything is to, in a sense, be presented to God. How we live our lives is to be presented to God, to be sacrificed to God as our spiritual service of worship. All of our lives, all of us, belongs to God. He created us, he redeemed us, and it's all his anyways, and then we are to then offer that up to God as a sacrifice. And this is what Paul is speaking of as he has sacrificed his life for the gospel and for the Philippians. This picture of sacrificial service, it's rooted in worship, but second, it's also based on value. It's based on value because even as we read in the Old Testament uh, uh, law and, and how what the Jews were to sacrifice, they were, they were to sacrifice those animals which were of value. And in an agrarian society um, where many were shepherds and owned livestock, uh, their animals, the livestock that they owned, that was a piece of property um, that was something valuable to them, something that could also um, earn money for them, whether it was through um, the production of milk or wool or, or meat or whatever it may be. And they were to offer animals with, which were without blemish. They, they weren't to offer the lame or the blind animal, which uh, Israel was chided against doing through the, the prophets later on in their history. And so worship, sacrificial service, it's also based on value. Uh, um, um, what do you really value and, and what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to offer to God? Um, you know, and, and that translates over into the New Testament age and, and you know, what do we give to God? And how do we give it? And what's our attitude to God? As many pastors have said before, Show me your checkbook and your calendar, and I'll show you where your affections lie, where your heart is. And it's not necessarily a one-for-one one correlation, but there's some truth in that. That we spend our time and money on those things which we consider valuable, important. As Jesus even said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there is no commandment um, concerning the amount that we are to give in terms of money or time. But the New Testament continually speaks about our heart attitude towards that. As even Jesus would show this illustration of the, the poor widow giving the two mites. And he said, she gave more than the rest of them. 
She gave more than the, the, the rich people, than the big spenders. She gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had to live on. The same with the, the woman who would break the alabaster jar of nard oil and anoint Jesus. And Jesus said she did a good work because she valued him. She showed where her treasure really was. This picture of sacrificial service, it's rooted in worship. It's based on value. And it's also established in Christ's sacrifice. It, it, it goes back to Christ's sacrifice for us. All sacrifices were meant to point to Christ. From even the beginning, before the law was established, it, it was all meant to point to Christ that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That these, the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away our sins. That, that we have, uh, our sins have made a separation between us and our God. And that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, to approach God, that he is holy. And we are not to come to him, in a sense, empty-handed. We are to recognize our own sinfulness and his own holiness. And with that, as we approach him, should be done in reverence and fear and awe. And yet, there's no sacrifice great enough outside of the sacrifice of Christ which could reconcile us with God. That there had to be a perfect sacrifice a, a, a perfect man, uh, eternal, to pay all of our sin debt. And then he gives us this model of life because all of the Christian life is about Christ, that, that we are being conformed into the image of Christ and we are to follow Christ. And Paul shows this as he says he is willing to lay down his life for the believers and for the church, and not just in this passage, but in several other passages, and he rejoices over it because of what he treasures. Now, the Apostle Paul is, you know, his testimony that he was going somewhere in Judaism. He was a rising star as a young rabbi. And yes, it was his conversion, but even after that, he was willing to throw it all away for the sake of Christ. His influence, his notoriety, his money, his time, his talents, his treasure, his abilities, everything was for Christ. And this is the picture that he gives us of sacrificial service of his own life. It's also what he calls us to uh, in, in other places, and especially in, in Ephesians 5, in, in, in verses 1 and 2, as he calls the Ephesians to, uh, to put off their old way of life and to put on Christ, to put on the new uh, manner of life that has been recreated in him. And he calls the Ephesians to be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
This picture of, of Christ sacrificing himself as, in a sense, a, 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 a fragrant aroma, either a burnt offering or a drink offering, that that aroma rose up to God. And he was pleased. He was pleased with the sacrifice. He was pleased with it, with it um, so that it covered our sins. It, it, it was completed. We are to live our lives in that manner. To give of ourselves for others, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. To be living sacrifices and to do so with joy. You know, church history is full of examples. We, I mean, we, we see it through in the New Testament, the example of Paul. And, and there is a sense that we look at the life of Paul and, and we think there's no way I could be anything like him. And that's true because not only his day and age, but his person, his office, there's no way we could be like him. And the same with church history. We see heroes of our faith, and we've been going through that in our Sunday school, and we read about and learn about heroes of the faith, and we look back and we, we think there's, there's no way we could be like that person. But there is a sense in which we are commanded to follow their example in, in, in whatever way we can in our own uh, day and age and w- with our own circumstances, with our own uh, unique uh, lives. And, and there's one, you know, missionary that um, many have, uh, have looked to in terms of his sacrifice because he, he wrote about his sacrifice, how he sacrificed, as many missionaries have. And, and, and he wrote, it, it's interesting because this is, you may have heard this before, but this one missionary in Africa who gave himself, and, and, and so much so that um, when he died, um, the, the Africans, they, they, they cut out his heart to, to keep it there. David Livingstone, that his heart was in Africa. And, and when asked about his sacrifice and the sacrifice he gave of his life and, and his abilities and everything for Africa and to reach these Africans, he wrote, he, he wrote this. He said, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Never made a sacrifice. He called it a privilege. And and this is Paul's heart. As he even, he speaks about sacrificing for the Philippians. And it is a sacrifice. And he has legitimately and uh, greatly sacrificed for the church, for their faith, but he doesn't necessarily consider it as such because he rejoices in it. 
He rejoices in the privilege, in the opportunity, in the ministry to lay down his life for the Philippians, for the Romans, for the Ephesians, for the Colossians, for all the churches of the Greco-Roman world, and to advance the cause of Christ. And this is a picture of sacrificial service which he lays out and the joy he finds in it. That he has given himself up and he's willing so that when the knock comes on the door and the executioner comes in, he, he, he's, not, he's not downcast. He's not discouraged. He's hopeful. He rejoices. He looks forward to that day. He will see his Lord face to face and, and say it was all worth it. And this gets to the second point, the joy of sacrificial service, that he finds joy in this. He finds joy in all that he has given. He finds joy in his hardships. He says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Rejoices and shares my joy with you all. And quite literally, it could be, um, I rejoice and you rejoice with me. I rejoice and you rejoice with me, or, or I rejoice and, and rejoice with you. It, it's this joy that, that spills over of giving of himself, this joy of sacrificial service, which is, in a sense, a, a paradox almost. We, we see joy and sacrifice um, put together, and it's, it's interesting. It is almost ironic and paradoxical. This joy is in a sense, received by giving. We do various things in our lives. Um, you know, we, we all have our hobbies and interests. And uh, we have things we like to do, um, places we like to go. We have um, the shows we like to watch or, or movies. And uh, we do it out of joy. Some of us, we have hobbies that where there's paraphernalia that comes with that hobby either hunting or fishing or tennis or whatever it may be. And we're involved in that world and we enjoy it and we love it and we look forward to it. But it's interesting because we, we are looking, we don't give to that. We, we are looking to receive from that from, and we pay for that, that hobby, that interest to receive joy. But this joy of sacrificial service it's received by giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. Using what God has given you for the sake of others. And it is an exercise of faith. Because we naturally want to receive. I mean, we're all, we're all selfish sinners. I mean, to one degree or another. Um, you know, we think of ourselves more than others and what we want to do. And yet the, the call of Christianity, the call of the gospel is to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Christ, to give for others. As Jesus says, Luke 9, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And in that picture of taking up your cross, it wasn't just uh, bear your burden, but it was to join the death march, to go to your death, to lay down your life to follow me because that's where I am going. 
Jesus continues, he says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He's created us, he's redeemed us, he's bought us, and, and we are his, and we are to give of all we have for him and follow him as he gave of himself for others. And he did it for joy. You know, and that takes an exercise of faith that God will take care of you, that God will provide for you, that this is the way he calls you to go. And though you don't have all the answers, you, you know that you are to serve while others are serving themselves. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, you know, because we all have seasons of life. We all have strengths and weaknesses and abilities and um, health issues and relationship issues and financial issues and the challenges of life, and yet we're still called to serve uh, to a certain degree. And Charles Spurgeon said, Serve God with all your might while the candle is burning. And then when it goes out for a season you will have the less to regret. That we are called to serve and, and there are times and seasons in our lives in which we can serve more or less. And he says, serve while you can so that when that time comes and, you know, for, you know God forbid, you're laid up in a hospital bed and you can't serve and you're thankful that you were able to serve when... You had the abilities. And serve with what little you can or what, what great you can. As even Jesus said, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And so it's, it's not so much about the amount as it is our heart attitude and our willingness and, and, and trusting in God that this is the way. And then that's where the joy comes from. The joy of sacrificial service is received by giving. And it also it considers others. It considers the joy of others. As Paul said to here in Philippians 2, that we are to think of others as more important than ourselves, just as Christ did. This was Paul's attitude. And this where is where... In a sense, his joy came from by giving out and by considering the joy of others, by, in a sense, emptying himself. You know, it, it's interesting. I, um, I've counseled um, many others on depression, and I, I myself have struggled with depression in the past, and um, I, I don't think there's too many people who haven't. Um, and, and the interesting thing about depression is it's, an, it's a downward spiral. And it starts with a, a self-obsession of looking at oneself. And, and the more you look at oneself, the more you see your flaws and what you don't have and what you would like and unmet expectations and all these other things. And, and it, it begins this downward spiral and it just feeds on itself until you, in a sense, uh, 
you ruin yourself over self-obsession. And God has created us in such a way that we are to um, be looking outward. We are to serve him and to serve others. And, and that's how, in a sense, you cure depression is you start looking outward. You start looking at others. You start serving them. You start giving. You start considering the joy of others rather than your own joy and your own uh, self-interests. And that's where the joy comes from. As Paul, you know, to the, in a sense, to the extreme sacrifice, who was willing to afflict, endure afflictions and persecutions for the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ, as even he says to uh, the Corinthians, great is my boldness towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I have been filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. He says that to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7 as he speaks of his hardships, and he would later on give his, in a sense, his resume of suffering to the Corinthians uh, of what he has suffered on behalf of the churches. And, and he did it all for the joy of serving Christ and serving others. To the Colossians, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. He rejoices in suffering. Once again, this, this paradox of joy and sacrifice, of joy and suffering, of uh, the joy which is received by giving, which it considers the joy of others, but also it contributes to greater joy. Because as you serve others and as you sacrifice for others and as they receive the gifts of your service and they receive the joy, then that joy builds and it overflows to others. It contributes to greater joy. And this is what he's calling the Philippians to, that they would rejoice in the same way with him, that they would share in his joy and that, that then they would reciprocate that to others as they serve others, and that they would rejoice in the same way and then share their joy in serving back with him. And so it feeds on itself and it contributes to itself, this joy, which in a sense goes against all our uh, natural flesh, fleshly carnal instincts to serve ourselves. So what Paul is calling the Philippians to is what he's calling us to, this joy of serving, this picture of sacrificial service, and this joy, it's grounded in Christ's sacrifice. It's realized in sacrificing for Christ. It's acted out in humility that we don't count ourselves better than anyone else, but we count others as better than us, as more important than us. It's given in faith. It's given with joy. And this, this joy of sacrifice is multiplied in unity in the church as, as it flows over to others, as they sacrifice and serve others and compel others, spur others on to greater uh, acts of service and sacrifice. And so Paul paints this picture of sacrificial service. He expresses the joy of his own sacrificial service. And then he shows us a third thing. He shows us the fellowship of sacrificial service. As he calls the Philippians to 
to emulate his own attitude towards life and towards service and towards ministry, to rejoice and share his joy with, with them all, and, and it, it builds on one another. That this fellowship of sacrificial service, it's grounded in, in really three, it's grounded in fellowship with Christ because it begins with Christ and, and Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us and redeeming us and calling us into one body. And then as we are called to emulate him, we go out and we share this gospel. This gospel of redemption, of salvation, and we, we give and we serve and we sacrifice so that others may know the Savior and they may know the same. And, and then as we do that, we're united with Christ in his body. As Paul would say, he rejoices and he fills up the afflictions of Christ in his own body. There's this mysterious union with Christ as, as we come to him. Yeah, as you know, we read in Romans chapter 6 that we are baptized into his death and we are raised with him to newness of life. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That, that God sent his one and only son to live a life that none of us could live so that he could go to the cross and die the death that we all deserve to die. And in doing that, uh, his perfect life is credited to, to us and he bears our sins and we are united with him in his body and he our head and so there is this mysterious union with him and we fellowship with him in his body with other believers and there's unity in the body and so as we serve there is this fellowship as we act in a Christ-like manner we are we uh, increase our fellowship and our unity. This fellowship is also synergic, synergistic. It builds on one another. It, it, it um, expands. It, it, it multiplies. It's exponential. One service and sacrifice compels another's. John writes his epistle to the believers who encourage them in the faith to help them to examine themselves to see whether or not they are in the faith to assure themselves and he gives these tests in first john of of whether or not they are in the faith whether or not they believe in the true christ and what he has done whether or not they are acting out um those commands and living out those commands and emulating christ uh whether or not they are confessing their sins and he gives this test and these series of tests and one such test uh, the love test that is there love in our lives and is particularly is there love for one another he writes in first john three sixteen. he says by this we have known love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. That as we understand and experience the love of God, that should flow out towards others. And not just in our attitude, though it starts with our attitude, it starts with our outlook, but it should flow outward into evidential fruit of of loving in word and, and 
in encouragement and in uh, caring and then in deed and in truth as we serve one another, as we give. And that compels others to serve and give as well. Two are better than one. A threefold strand is not quickly broken. There's a sense as we walk together and we uh, serve together that we are united further and further together and then we spur one another on to uh, faith and good works and, and the body grows together. And there's this fellowship of sacrificial service that is grounded in fellowship with Christ. It's, it's synergistic. You, you, know, you think, of, um, think of throughout church history and, and um, many times throughout church history there's been movements uh, particularly by um, either a, a false religion or a cult or um, an, an ungodly uh, tyrannical government and they would try to you know, stamp out Christianity usually by going to the leader and, and capturing the leaders. And even we see that in the New Testament. And, and the leaders would be martyred. And it's one thing to uh, martyr one person. But it's another thing when there's a whole group of believers that are willing to sacrifice, that are standing with the leader. It has such a, a, a greater impact that others are then spurred on to sacrifice and to give and to be willing to lay down their lives for the church and for the gospel. And there's fellowship, there's unity in this sacrificial service. But finally, this, this fellowship of sacrificial service is not only grounded in fellowship with Christ, not only synergistic, but it's forgetful of the sacrifice. It's forgetful of the sacrifice because of the impact of the sacrifice. You know, what, what hinders us from service and from sacrificing, from giving, is, you know, what will we do? Um, will we have enough? Um, uh, if I let go of this, will I have enough? Uh, or, or will it be received? Will, will it be received as a, as a sacrifice? Will it be received as a gift? Will, will, I, receive, will I, I get the thanks for, for what I have given? But when one truly sacrifices and gives of themselves in, in, in service to the church and service to others, and you see the joy and, and you see the, the, the impact, you forget you forget that sacrifice. You forget that it was even a sacrifice to begin with. As even Jesus says, he uses this picture of a woman in labor. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. And there is a sense that, that there is this... this with all sacrifices, there is this anticipation of some sort of pain or uh, just struggle to give up. And especially as in Paul's case, that his sacrifice of service to the church came with physical pain. It came with sleepless nights. It came with uh, severe persecutions. And he constantly had to fight against his flesh to shrink back. 
His flesh wanted to shrink back. But he continued to, to give and because of the, the joy that would come later as a response to his sacrifice, as a response to proclaiming the gospel uh, to these cities and these towns, that people would come to faith, that a church would be planted, that people would come to know the Savior, and that they would have joy, and that joy would spill over, and then that they would then sacrifice themselves to reach others, and that they would uh, understand the joy of sacrifice and the fellowship of sacrifice, sacrificing with one another for the sake of the gospel, that they would, in that moment, also experience the intimacy of, of Christ who gave himself up for us. You know, there's uh, the, the writer to the Hebrews, he uses this illustration. Paul uses this illustration as well, especially in, in the Greco-Roman world with the Olympic Games and... and um, I see this illustration in my life because I, I took part in it. Um, and I understand that it's lost on some people, but nonetheless, the illustration is there of running the race. Of running the race. And, you know, um, if you've ever played sports, and um, you know, um, there's various kinds of sports. And, and even for athletes, um, especially those who've played team sports, um, they've somewhat looked down on running. Like, why would, I know I play football or I play basketball and I run and there's running involved in that, but why would you just run to run? Like, you're just running a race or like people who just jog for their health, but there's something involved and it is true when you compete in a race and you're running against the clock and you're running against, there is competition. But the biggest competition in running especially when you're just on your own, you're trying to, to, I don't know, beat a record or beat a goal or you're just running, the competition is, in a sense, against yourself, against your own flesh. In the midst of that, you're constantly, because your body is, is saying stop or slow down, and, and you're constantly in this battle of saying, no, go, go, continue, keep pushing, keep pushing, go faster. It's a constant battle between mind and body. And I think that's part and reason why Paul uses this illustration so often of the Christian race. That our flesh continually battles against us and wants us to slow down, wants us to stop, wants us to give up. Says it's too hard, you can't make it. And we constantly have to tell ourselves, no, push, push. Go. It's going to be over. And the greatest joy is when you actually finish the race. And there's never been one time where I've, um, I've finished and I've thought, you know, that was, the, that was the best. That was the fastest I ever went. I always thought that I could go faster. I always thought after I finished, I should have pushed harder. I should have endured longer. I should have uh, not listened to my body because now it's over. The, 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 the pain is over in a sense. And there's a joy of finishing. And this is a picture that the writer to the Hebrews gives us in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, coming on the, the tail end of this, this example of all the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and he says, therefore... 
Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and all these Old Testament saints, all these witnesses who suffered for the faith, who were, as he would say, were sawn in two, went about in sheepskins and goatskins without um, living in holes in the ground, suffered for their faith. And he says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, all these witnesses, all these examples, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, picturing a runner that is encumbered by weights, weights of sin, weights of extra stuff in our life that doesn't profit us, it just distracts us, it doesn't contribute to our faith. And he says, lay all that aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus is our goal. And all these witnesses, all these saints, they, they are our example as well. And we are in a race, whether we like it or not, and we are to run that race, and we are to run our, our race with our eyes fixed on the goal, not distracted by the things of this world. We are to give of ourselves. And as we do so, we will experience that joy and, and know that there is a greater joy awaiting us when the race is over. There's one famous uh, Christian in church history who is also an athlete. And uh, it's interesting, his testimony, that he had his whole life before him, and he was a celebrity. He was a professional athlete, and he could have gone far, and he was wealthy. And he gave it all to be a missionary. C.T. Studd, he said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. He gave up his notoriety, his celebrity, well, he still had notoriety, especially within the Christian world, but in terms of the, the world at large, his celebrity status, his wealth given to missions, his abilities, um, himself. You know, it would have been one thing just to give large chunks of money to missions, but he himself went forward as a missionary. Because he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make him this is a Christian life when we understand first and foremost that there was a sacrifice made for us and, and, and that our sins require a sacrifice we've sinned against a holy and righteous God who has made us who has provided for us who has given us uh, all the good things of, of life and we've sinned against him and because we've sinned against him, we deserve his wrath. And, and there's no amount of works that we can do to balance the scales. We, we can't, there, there's no amount of giving that we can do to pay off that debt. That only Jesus Christ could live the perfect life and, and be that perfect sacrifice for us. And, and he did sacrifice 
for us and in doing that he has redeemed us and because he has redeemed us we are then in response to sacrifice ourselves for him and for others and are to serve and we are to emulate him and we are to follow him but as Paul told the Corinthians we are to continually um, examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith and especially for those of us who our lives don't match up. And there is no service. There is no sacrifice. There is no giving. Or, or it's, it's just the bare minimum. Or worse yet, there's no desire. We should examine ourselves. to See whether or not we are in the faith. And that call was given to the Corinthians because of their lifestyle. We don't, only the Holy Spirit really knows. Only the Holy Spirit can give you true assurance, and, and only, only God really knows who are His. Uh, we see fruits, we, we judge a tree by the fruit that it bears. We are also to examine ourselves by the fruit that we bear, whether that's uh, in our attitude or in actions or in giving. And as Paul said, you know, in light of the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves. And as we come to the table to celebrate the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf, the call is to examine yourselves. Because he gave us this, this uh, sacrament, this ordinance to remember him. That his body was broken for us. His blood was spilt for us. And as we come, this table is for any true believer who is walking in holiness. It's not for those who only profess to believe and their lives show no evidence of regeneration or no evidence of faith. It's for those who have made a profession of faith and are walking in the faith. It's for it's not for the perfect person because there is no perfect person. But if you have uh, been born again, if you have repented from your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, if you are striving for holiness and striving to live a life that is pleasing to him, then this table is for you and you can partake with us. But if that doesn't, uh, doesn't describe you, then... You, can, you should abstain, lest you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves, as Paul warns. So we, I am going to pray for us, and then the men will dismiss you to um, receive the elements, and then we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two verses and just the, the picture of a sacrifice. We, we think of sacrifices as we read your word and the Old Testament sacrifices and we think of the sacrifice of Christ often and, and there's a sense that we will um, continue to dwell upon and meditate upon the sacrifice of Christ throughout all eternity and, and everything that involved that was involved in it. But there's also a sense that we are to sacrifice ourselves for the service of the others as Paul gives us this example. Help us to examine ourselves and examine 
how we are living? Do we truly believe what we say we believe? And does that um, bear fruit in our lives? Lord, please help us and please guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.